This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of land on which we record. We record on the land of the Wurundjeri Willem people, and we would like to pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are having a conversation with Lawrence Strangio, director of the upcoming production of Three Sisters at La Mama Theatre in June. It is also on the VCE Theatre Studies Playlist 2021. What is different about the playlist this year is that students can see any show on the Theatre Studies playlist for Unit 3 or Unit 4. So what we've decided to do is separate the interview into three episodes. Episode 1 focuses on Unit 3, Episode 2 focuses on Unit 4, and Episode 3 focuses on the elements of theatre composition. This episode is focused on Theatre Studies Unit 3. Without further ado, I bring you Lawrence Strangio on Three Sisters. Welcome to the podcast, Lawrence Strangio. Thank you, Nick. So this episode is going to be all about Unit 3. So it's going to be focused on uh, Unit 3 Theatre Studies students and the kind of things that they need to know when uh, analysing this work as a page-to-stage interpretation. So uh, will the context of the original script be interpreted in this production? Yeah, look, I think any production is an interpretation anyway, but it, but certainly we have taken a particular line on it. Um, when Adam and I first talked about retranslating the work, and even before that in, in earlier conversations with original cast members about what the purpose of this whole, of doing this this show at this time was, was the, the, the purpose that, that we... That we approached it with really was that that it, it was to be a non-naturalistic I don't know if that's the correct terminology oh absolutely or not naturalistic not natural not a naturalistic take on the play but but a but to look at it from through a more absurdist perspective really just to, to, to think about it in, in terms of the the fact that Chekhov wasn't writing plays to be tragedies he was writing them to be if anything a tragic comedy. So the play certainly remains true to to when it was written into the, the place and the time, and the characters are of that era. Then we're not modernising the characters; we're not turning them into people from the twentieth or twenty first century. We're we we've written we've rewritten the play with contemporary language, but without contemporising the, the the context of the of the, the characters and, and their setting. Um, you can look at that kind of like the recent production of Cyrano de Bergerac on the West End uh, with James, uh, I can't remember his name anymore, James McAvoy, or mm. looking at uh, something like Hamilton. So the time and place stays the same, but the language totally ships. Am I wrong there? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, so the, the play certainly, well, when when Adam and I first started re, re-approaching the text and, and wanting to work from the original rather than, and we, we, we had chosen a, a different translation when we were going to place put this, the show on in 2020. And we were quite excited about that. It was a very recent translation. It had been done in the UK, and it was we, we quite liked the the approach that it had. But the more we read it, the more we felt that it, it really belonged to that particular production. And there were elements in it that that were just not choices that we were we were excited by, I suppose. And and obviously that was to do with the way that that show was was being was being 
uh, interpreted. And and our, our our desire was really to create a play that was more of an absurdist play that might that, that that treated the material in a much more absurdist way to look at the characters as metaphors rather than as realistic people. And obviously, we in rehearsing it, we we are going through the processes of, of the sort of psychological depth of those characters and what their drives are and what their emotions are and and you know why what the what the things that are blocking them and the obstacles that they have and what are the things that are, are, are driving them forward and and all of those things but at the same time we're sort of trying to then turn up different levers or knobs at, at times to sort of go well this is a bit more of a heightened moment and this more this is a more comic moment and this moment here is you know is much more tragic and but then it's suddenly undercut by this other event and and really trying to highlight particular aspects of it that are that in some ways are, are really precursors to the the, the approach of absurdist theatre. And absurdist theatre came out of existentialism and and that sort of post-war trauma of you know what do we do with our life now? And and if you think about you know plays like Godot and um, and you know Inesco's plays and Pirandello's plays, you know they're all they're all really trying to sort of work out you know where are we. You know, what do we do with this life that we have and how do we use it and how do we, you know, how do we make sense of it? And and in, in a lot of ways, that's what Chekhov's on about, about all the time, really, is only what are we doing? Why, why, are we, why are we not doing anything? You know, in this play, there are three sisters who talk about going to Moscow. They talk about going to Moscow from the very first page of the play. The word Moscow occurs so many times without, throughout the first act in particular, slightly less in the second act. A little bit less again in the third act, and by the the fourth act, it's sort of only there as a faint echo, and it's it's the one driving idea. The play spans four years. They don't go to Moscow. Just a spoiler alert, but they don't go to Moscow. No one goes to Moscow. It's like waiting for Godot. You know, they 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 wait for Godot to appear. He's not coming today, but he'll be surely here tomorrow. He's not coming today. He's going to be, and the, that play could go on forever and ever and ever, and every day would be the same, just a little bit worse. It's a bit like that already in in this play. You have four acts. Each time in each of the acts, they, they, they talk about this, this great desire to do this thing. They don't do anything about it. Um, you know, that's, that struck me at the time as this is, this is surely the, you know, the key to this play, that it's, it's, it's not a naturalistic play. It's a play that, that is, is questioning what are we doing with our lives and why are, we not, why are we not doing anything with our lives? And no one answers it. The only, the only people in the play who have any success are Natasha, who is the outside force that comes in she's like the antagonist to the three protagonists and she comes in as this you know seemingly innocent creature at the beginning and then and then gradually takes over the whole household and by the end is chopping down trees and moving people from this room to that room you can you can go and play your violin over there and i'll take over that room you you know i'll put you two people in that bedroom there because you don't need your room because you're out at work all day anyway and my child needs a better room to be in it's more sunny it's more light and all that you know there's she, she gradually just eventually takes over the household. Then the only other person that's happy in the play is the 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 maid Anfisa, who was their nanny from when from thirty odd years ago. And and at the end of the play, she's moved out of the house and she's got her own little room and she's ecstatically happy. She's got her own bed and her own room. But but our three main protagonists are still talking about one day they might go to Moscow. It's you know they they just don't get the message. It's anyway that I suppose that was the driving force as to what is the the new context of the play is that it's. It's, it's a play that isn't about, oh, what a terrible life or oh, what a sad life. It's a play about, well, you know, it's only, it's only, it only doesn't work if you don't do anything. It only doesn't work if you don't make a decision.
Yeah, and that was one of the intentions of Beckett, to say, this isn't life. I'm going to present this kind of circular world and where people don't make choices and people stay put, and you as the audience have to go, no, stop it. Yes, I can't absolutely. be like them. I want to make absolutely. some change. I'd That's... go to Moscow if I was them. Yes, you know, and, and, and you know, the, and Irina at the very beginning, who's the youngest sister, talks about, oh, we, what I, need, we need, I need to get a job. That's, what it, that's, that's the answer. We'll all get work and we'll do, this, we'll, we'll do this wonderful thing called work. And then in the second act, she comes home and she's, oh, I'm sick and tired of working. And then in the third act, she's got a different job again. And she's, oh, I, I had that job and I hated that job. And now I've got this new job and I hate this job too. And then in the fourth act, she says, well, I'm going to go do this other job now. It's like, it's, it's like it, you know, the, this constant sort of shift, 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 but never any sort of stability, but never any real plan. You know, even Colleagan, who's her brother-in-law, says, you know, well, that's all very well, but it doesn't seem like a very solid plan, you know. And, and you know, we tend to laugh at him as a character, but but it's very true. They don't, they don't actually have a plan. They don't know what they're going to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Olga, the elder sister, is, a, you know, she's a school teacher and she's pretty unhappy because she comes home with a headache every single night, like most school teachers. But at the same time, you know, she doesn't she doesn't have any, any um, power in her life. She gets moved out of the house. She gets another sister shoved into the bedroom with her. And then by the end, she's made the headmistress, even though she doesn't want to be the headmistress. She'd much rather be in Moscow, you know, but they, they don't do anything about going there, but they just let things happen to them. You know, it's it's that sort of a it's yeah, it's, it's about volition as much as anything. If you don't have any volition, if you don't have any willpower um, and you just have dreams, well, that's you know, you're not going to get anywhere. But all of that said, doesn't it's not a play that's saying don't have a dream have a dream but do something about it yeah this is a valid thing absolutely and this lens that you're clearly applying to this play seems to really easily lend itself to this farcical kind of yeah absurdist interpretation and and it's really interesting how much you find the humor in the play when you look at it that way if you look at it as real life then the moments that are funny or the moments that are comical you sort of think oh isn't that odd that they behave like that but when you look at it from the point of from the point of view of um, you know this isn't real. This is somebody who's like there's a character Kaligan who hides under a bench at one stage. It's like why does he do that? Why doesn't he just sort of stand in the room? Why doesn't he just wait for this other person to come in? Oh no, I know what he'll do. I'll hide. It's like it's just so bizarre. And then uh, you know it's 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 those little moments like that that you just think why has he put this in there? But it's it's to constantly shift us and off our off kilter. And it's a it's a every every scene has something that's rather strange that happens in it. And and each time it, it sort of just it just pushes you into a into a different way of looking at what's going on here between these people. You know why is that? Why is that person being, you know, a bit more annoying this time? Or why is that person, you know, um, being so overbearing? It's it's it, it's it's really a, a matter of, of trying to understand. You know what what's Chekhov trying to say to us? Look look at these people. They're not they're not normal. They don't they're not behaving normally. Yeah. And obviously that's going to translate through their performances are there any design elements that are going to reflect the absurdist so, yeah so stuff? one of the one of the things that we looked at in particular uh was that as the, as the play goes on as i mentioned before i think that that natasha the 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 outsider that comes in that marries the brother of the three sisters and then eventually takes over the household that that as the play goes on that the scenes suddenly start to get stripped away of all of the comforts and the 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 normality of the of the household that the three sisters grew up in and they they moved here with you know like 11 years before the start of the play and uh, so they they didn't grow up in this house but they'd been here for 11 years so but eventually once natasha's in in their story from the from act one onwards the house starts to become hers and so things are sort of gradually being stripped away and stripped away. And we sort of end up with a much more bare set by the end of the play from what seems to be a much more seemingly 
you know, symbol, symbolically op- opulent set at the very beginning. And, and that was one of the discussions we were just having today in rehearsal was about this, this, this gradual shedding, shedding, shedding. But also it's, it's, it, at the same time, it's about another character actually placing their stamp on, on this world that, that's there. Um, that said too, I mean, costume-wise, we're looking at, we're at, at, at not trying to recreate the exact period of the time, but the style of the time and, the, and I suppose you know, the opulence of it, but not, the, but not to be sort of period-specific. Um, not, not because we, you know, we don't want to be placing it exactly then, but, but more because we want it to, it to be readable as, as, and understandable now, that it's not like, oh, I, I need to know about the detail of that dress or that dress, but it's much more about, you know, oh, that's, that person looks like they're well-dressed and that person looks like they're a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. And as to the timeless nature of absurdism, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, and certainly that, you know, that notion of things that, that exist within a sort of semi-limbo that, that you know, certainly that's there in Becker, but it's also there in Ionesco and it's, and, you know, and it is there in this too. Like, yes, there are a lot of very specific references about, you know, when the character Tusenbach uh, appears in the second half of the play, he's left the army now and he's dressed in fashionable clothes. But, you know, what are those, what does that, what does that mean then? And what does that mean now? If we were to put him in fashionable clothes of then, it would look like, Oh, this looks really like you know, it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't look very fashionable at all. The audience might not even get yes, it. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, so the the choices need to be things that that read clearly and quickly. Um, also, because in that case, the character of Tuzenbach is being played by an actor who's also playing his, um, I suppose, his antagonist character within within the same place. So, there's two characters: Solioni and and Tuzenbach, who are both in love with Irina, and Scott Middleton is playing both of those people. That's not a normal thing in, the, in this play. Um, that's a choice that we made a long, long time ago because it was a, a notion that occurred and that stuck with us. And, and we're having a lot of fun with it. But, but it's interesting too because it's able to lift us out of actually getting caught up in that's that person and he's playing that character and we need to find somebody else to play that other person. Well, no, he's just going to be both of them. And he has conversations with himself and he has conversations with Arena as two different people and, and professes his love as, as both of those two different people. And and yet we see them as quite clearly different people and distinct people. It's not a person with a with a personality disorder. It's two different people. So anyone coming expecting realism are in for a yeah. Shock. I'm shaking my head. Yeah, <laughs> don't expect that. It's it's it's. I mean, the, the the whole point is to tr- is to constantly try and disrupt that sense of realism to have elements within the staging of the piece that are throwing that at that you know that slightly off kilter. Really and there's exciting. a spinning top early in in the in the in the play in the first act and it's a bit like that the play is constantly just shifting slightly all the time that's really fun and the last question because you've answered so many of these throughout these responses is uh, how do you think this interpretation fits today's social or political climate oh look what what just think back on the year we've just had you know like this this time of not being able to do anything and and then all of those sorts of the frustration of those that that world and that those you know wh- why can't I go out? Why can't I do those things anymore? But then you know all of the all of the uh, what's the right word? All of those you know aspirations that we then have as a result of that. Oh, when I, when when this is over, I'm going to do this. When this is over, I'm going to do that. But then how many of us then say, oh, actually, oh, I don't know. Maybe I won't go to the gym as often as I thought I would, or maybe I'll you know. Only I'll keep getting those that those meals delivered. I don't need to you know go out and buy food or cook my own food anymore. It's not much easier. So you sort of get into those habits and and it's and all of that sort of aspirational. I'll, I will I will choose a better life or or I'm going to take that opportunity now. I'll, except I can't now because of this thing. 
Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's that it's that sort of that that's the that's the lesson surely to be learned. Is it? Let's let's do the stuff while it's there. Let's do the thing that we need to do now. Don't don't just dream about it. Don't just talk about it. Do the thing. You know, I'm, we were going to do this show last year. We didn't get to do it last year. We're very 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 grateful that we were able to do it this year. But you know, it would be really easy to say, oh well, missed that chance. Too bad. Don't do it. You know, but but you know, we're not going to just say, oh, let's go to Moscow one day. We're going we're to go to Moscow now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that is the end of our Unit 3 conversation. Thank you for your time, Lawrence Strangio. Thanks, Nick. We have two more episodes with Lawrence Strangio talking all things Three Sisters. We have an episode focused on Unit 4 Theatre Studies and then a whole episode dedicated to the elements of theatre composition. Stick around and have a listen to those. If you'd like to find out more about Three Sisters, you can go to lamama.com.au. Well, that's all from us at The Aside. If you'd like to ask us a question, please do not hesitate to do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, and of course, thank you for listening.